0: Thing
1: like this would happen to me. Receiving this honor is the dream of every college football player in the country.
0: And the winner is Eddie Jordan Campbell. Yeah.
2: <laughs> my heart's about to come out of my shirt. I'm a little overwhelmed right now, I'm sorry.
1: The youngest member of my family is uh, very ill. If I can dedicate this trophy to him tonight and give him a couple days of happiness, this is worth everything.
3: I'm up here for all those kids in Athens that go home to not a lot of food on the table, hungry after school. You guys can be up here too.
1: I do everything in my power to represent the trophy, but I will represent what a Heisman
0: Trophy wants you to be.
4: for setting the stage. Strike a pose, it's Heisman night. Will the wide receiver drought end in just a few hours with DeFonte Smith? And Alabama may add to their offensive arsenal just in time. The latest on Jalen Waddle status for Monday's national championship. Plus, what makes the Buckeyes among the best in the business we will take a deep dive into Ohio State's greatest strength. Happy to have you with us as we count down the days now to the national championship in Miami. I'm Wendy Nix with Tom Lucanville, Joey Galloway, and Greg McElroy. Will tonight be the fourth time in Heisman history that we see a wide receiver walk away with the award as we count down the hours to the 86th Heisman Trophy presentation? 1972, the first time it happened, Johnny Rogers paved the way. The two-time All-American recorded almost 2,000 all-purpose yards and 17 touchdowns. Tim Brown, the Heisman in 1987, Notre Dame's seventh Heisman winner. He finished his career as the Fighting Irish's all-time leader in receiving yards and return touchdowns. And in 1991, our own Desmond Howard became the first receiver in Big Ten history to lead the conference in scoring. He went on to win the Heisman by the second largest margin of victory in the trophy's history. Entering the season, DeFonte Smith didn't even appear on Caesars' board for shortest odds to win the Heisman. However, on December 19th, after his performance in the SEC championship game, he became the favorite for the first time. Here he is with a man who knows what it's like, our own Desmond Howard. In
1: 1991, I came into that season, and there was a quarterback who was an overall favorite to win the Heisman. And in 2020, you came into the season with a quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, who was a favorite to win the Heisman, right? But at some point, you became the favorite, just like I did. At what point did you realize, man, I'm the front, run- front runner to win this award?
5: Um, well, you know, you have people calling you about this and that, things like that, and I try to tune it out. But it was just so much that people was just calling me and all that. Um, I would probably say after the LSU game is when everybody started hitting me up about it, telling me about it, I'm just like, I don't wanna hear that y'all talking too earlier, stuff like that. Like that's not what I want to hear right now.
1: I think it was by December 5th, you guys played LSU. And the only thing I wrote was Devontae Smith is special. Exclamation point. That was that one handed catch. Walk us through what took place from the time you lined up until you fell on your back with that ball in the end zone.
5: Um, well, we knew that was gone. Well, the whole game, they was kind of doubling me with the safety when I was um, to the boundary. So I kind of knew that, like, Stingley was going to stay outside just because he had inside. So I knew I was going to have to keep my route high. And I always told Matt that if you throw the ball out of bounds, there's no way I can catch it. So <laughs> just kind of threw it up, kept me in bounds some. And then, honestly, when I went up, I don't know what made me go with one hand. I just did, and it just happened.
1: Oh, man, that's like one of those signature plays. It was a great catch. And I think, like I said, at that point, I said, yeah, Devontae Smith, this young man is special. How would you like for this national championship game to end? What would be a fitting ending
5: for Devontae Smith? Just winning it with my teammates and everybody just enjoying it. Having these young guys around here see how it feels to win a national championship so it can just keep going.
4: Alabama now with a chance to end up with a national championship and the Heisman Trophy winner. Of course, a long way to go until that is settled, Joey. But if, in fact, it turns out to be a wide receiver who wins this award for just the fourth time, what does that mean for the Heisman Trophy?
2: It always feels like coming into the season, it's a quarterback award. And and especially coming into this season uh, with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields sitting out there, uh, all the talk was which one of those two quarterbacks would win the award. And then once we got into the season, you saw Kyle, Kyle Trask and Mac Jones stepping up. And then here comes a receiver, which you know that's that means a lot more to me. I love to see this go to a position other than a quarterback. And sometimes it's a running back and very rarely a receiver. I think it just opens the door moving forward for people to keep their eye on other positions outside of just the quarterback.
6: And one that we can kind of look at this year, and I think receiver's the easiest position on the field, Joey. No disrespect. I just kid. (laughs) But in all seriousness, all the quarterbacks' performances are remarkably good. They really are. You can go as deep in the Heisman field as... Wilson from BYU, but with Mac Jones and Justin Fields' performance of late, obviously what we saw from Kyle Trask statistically, and then Trevor Lawrence, who's likely to be the first overall pick in this upcoming draft, naturally the most talented of all the quarterbacks listed. Tell me what's, dis- what's different between all those candidates at quarterback. They're all tr- tremendous. They're all remarkable. But what I can say unequivocally is that Devontae Smith is by far and away the best player At his position in college football, he's ahead of Elijah Moore, who's second on the list by nearly 450 yards. The guy has dominated every single team that he's played against and has shown up on the biggest moments, on the biggest stages. He's the most outstanding player in college football and deserves to be rewarded with the Heisman Trophy tonight. You know,
7: Greg, you just hit on something. Had his biggest performances on the biggest stages, you know? And when you're at Alabama and you're playing a game, it's on national television against ranked opponents, and you show out, that resonates, especially when you're on the Eastern or Central time zone because the entire media sees it. But I'll say the other thing, too. As exciting as this guy is when he's got the ball in his hands or when he's going out and getting the ball, what Steve Sarkeesian has done and how he impacts the game when he's not getting the ball. Their pre-snap RPO game, where they move him around, they are literally dictating prior to the snap what they're going to do, run to pass, based off of how the defense is affected by where he goes. It's remarkable. So you have to understand, not only are you looking at a guy that's a complete and utter mismatch problem and outstanding in space with the ball in his hands, but look what he does when he doesn't have the ball and the opportunities he creates.
4: Well, Lukes and Greg, I know we're going to get your prediction coming up a little bit uh, later. Joey, not the case for you because you are a Heisman voter. So what I want to ask from you now is how do you make your decision? What are the factors, uh, regardless of who you cast your vote for, how do you decide who that is? I
2: just look at uh, the most outstanding player, and sometimes that's not the player on the best team. It's the player that does the most for their team. It just so happens uh, in this year's field, Uh, that all these teams are really good football teams. And so you look at the stats, of course, but you look at what this player does and how he affects his team, uh, not just playing his position, but leadership, uh, if he can do other things uh, to help out, is always important. And I think that's why Devontae Smith has jumped up the chart, because he also is an outstanding punt returner.
4: All right, in the Heisman Trophy ceremony, although it will be virtual, nevertheless, somebody will join that fraternity coming up at 7 o'clock Eastern tonight on ESPN and the ESPN app. Speaking of Devontae Smith, not only is tonight a big night, of course, the week is huge as he prepares for a national championship, and it's possible he gets some help in the form of teammate Jalen Waddle. We'll have the latest on his status straight ahead.
3: These guys have really earned the opportunity to play in the national championship game. we got an opportunity to go win the whole thing and maybe write one of the best stories ever in college football history. Gotta check
6: the score numbers going up.
4: According to head coach Nick Saban, receiver Jalen Waddle has been cleared to practice this week. That means there's a chance he'll play in the national championship game on Monday. Waddle has not played since fracturing his ankle on October 24th against Tennessee. He would, however, be a big boost to an already potent Alabama offense. Chris Lowe joins us. And Chris, let me start by asking what the expectations are right now for Jalen Waddle.
0: You know, I think they'll know more as the week goes on. Uh, he's been running. They feel good about his progress here. They want to see him practice. They want to see him cut, get in and out of his routes, how he cuts or, and moves laterally, and really how he feels after practice. And you really don't know that until you're two, three practices into the week. Uh, but they think that they have a chance to get him on the football field. And here's the main thing. The kid wants to play. He really wants to play in this game.
4: Well, oh, Chris, he wants to play. I know they would love him to play. What does he what does he add to this offense who's already been clicking on all cylinders or so it would seem? Well,
0: I think the first thing you sort of have to temper we all have to temper expectations. The kid hasn't played in two and a half months. But you know, I, I hate to put a percentage on what he would be if he does play, but a healthy Jalen Waddle is good a football player. As Devontae Smith is, I think Jalen Waddell is maybe the most electric football player in college football. You talk about a guy who can hit you down the field. He's got three of the five longest scoring plays, pass plays in Alabama football history. He's a dangerous return guy. He just adds an already potent Alabama offense and gives Ohio State that other guy that they got to prepare for.
4: Well, there's no question. He's one more thing to have to consider. Chris, thank you. But again, I think it makes sense to temper expectations because as I mentioned before, Waddle has not played since October 24th. And even so, he's only played five total games this season. In those five games, though, he averaged over 100 receiving yards and 22 yards per reception. That is the most in the SEC, which says something to be sure. Uh, Greg, I'll start with you and basically ask you the same thing. You know, we don't know. Will he be 100% what what he'll bring? But let's assume he's out there. Uh, What kind of difference can Jalen Waddle make for this Crimson Tide team?
6: It could be considerable, Wendy, because there is an example of a receiver that returned from a broken leg in seven weeks to ultimately play in the Super Bowl, that receiver was Terrell Owens. He went for nine receptions and 122 yards after seven weeks of recovery after his surgery to a bright, uh, broken right ankle. We also have an example using Alabama player of Kenyon Drake in 2015. He actually, in the national championship, broke his leg just a few months earlier. In the national championship, he returned a kickoff to the house, so I actually think even though he's been sidelined for the better part of two and a half months, Jalen Waddle can still impact this game in a positive way. And even if he's not touching the ball on a down and down out basis, guys, I could see him being used as a decoy, Joey. And that's like what you guys you guys talked about. It's just one more thing for Ohio State to consider.
2: Yeah, Greg, us receivers don't like when you use the word decoy. Uh, I did that a lot. <laughs> and, and that's not as much fun. We like talking <laughs> about getting the football. But it's crazy to think in the last segment, we just talked about how great Devontae Smith has been. But then you finish that sentence with Jalen Waddle might be better. And so this is an offense that, you know, when you think about what they've been able to do uh, without Waddle, with the guys that have stepped up, like John Mechie, uh, Billingsley in the last game, a, a big 6'4", 240-pound tight end receiver type of guy, Uh, this offense is as explosive with Waddle as we saw LSU was last season. I don't know how they're going to spread the ball around. I think if Steve Skarskeesian has done one terrific thing, it has been the ability to feed all of his weapons, the football, keep everyone happy. And now you add in Waddle. I don't know what you do defensively to take any one of these guys away.
7: Yeah, Joey, you know, from an offensive perspective, even if it's only 10 snaps and you've got him lined up in the slot – if you're Ohio State preparing for that right now and you see number 17 out there, you're saying, okay, where do we feel most comfortable having to match up if we decided to play man defense, he's in the slot, and then he moves around, then they ID it, or who do we feel most comfortable with if they've got 6 and 17 to the same side? And let's just say like 5, 10 times, 12 times, that happens, you got to prepare for it, and you better have a matchup that you feel comfortable with, and then on top of it, Joey, Let's just say he hits the field to do nothing but return punts. You're talking about a guy that could flip field position in the blink of an eye. That in and of itself has got to concern Ohio State if it's just a limited uh, set of plays. Yeah, it's interesting
2: when you say that, Lugs. And and I've always been under the belief that if you can't play and play a whole game, then as a young man, especially in in Waddle's position, uh, even though this is the national championship, if he is only uh, healthy enough to go 10 games, I wouldn't play. I mean, and if I was a coaching staff and a training staff, I wouldn't play him in this situation. I think if he's 100 percent, maybe 90 percent, and they're coming in thinking he can go the entire game, then you let this young man play. But if he's not, if he's in that area, that gray area of maybe we can get 10 plays. You know, I think, Greg, when you mentioned guys like Terrell Owens, they're professional athletes making a ton of money uh, that have played a lot of football and I think those guys make those kind of decisions. I'm going to go out there at, at 60% and see what I can do. I think it's different when we start about college guys. Someone has to say, young man, you have a, lo- a long uh, career ahead of you, hopefully at the next level, when you are supporting your family, making a lot of money. If he's only good for 10, I'd keep him on the sideline.
6: Yeah, and you referenced Terrell Owens uh, like I talked about him earlier. He played 62 of 72 offensive snaps for the Eagles that year that he bounced back. So that was obviously not a limited repertoire. So my question, if I'm Jalen Waddell, can I hurt it worse? That's the ultimate question, is if it can get hurt worse, then I will not be out there amongst my teammates. As much as I'd like to be, as badly as I feel like I can make an impact, if I'm less than 100% and I run the risk of potentially injuring myself further, then I can't take that chance. But at the same time, I acknowledge and, and frankly, I, I admire the fact that he wants to be out there knowing what a bright future he does have here in the pros in the years to come.
4: Uh, It is admirable, Greg, but you're right. He has to play the long game here, and as you heard Chris Lowe report, they'll need to see more. Uh, It's one thing to be clear for practice. It's quite another, as all three of you know, to see how you recover and how you bounce back after you start working out this week. So, again, his status uh, uncertain for Monday, but he has been cleared to practice. Uh, Speaking of potential returns, though, Georgia quarterback JT Daniels is headed back to Athens. He said via Twitter, found my new home. Now we got unfinished business. Go dogs." He's a transfer from USC and spent much of the season recovering from a knee injury, but he uh, made his Georgia debut in November, started the final four games, and passed for over 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns, two interceptions. He was the Bulldogs' starting quarterback again for the last four games. They went undefeated, and the offense averaged more points per game and over 100 yards per game than they did with the other two starters this season. With just seven games on their resume this season. Find out what we believe is the Buckeyes biggest strength. Again, enough to show why they belong among the nation's elite when College Football Live returns. Still to come on this Long edition of college football live a look at nick saban's greatest ties teams as he gets set to play for yet another national championship and with the 86 heisman trophy presentation now just a few hours away we'll have our prediction on who wins and why it may be historic and if history is in fact our greatest teacher we'll also look at what doomed the clemson tigers and why it might be wise for alabama to listen up Listen, clearly Ohio State has a number of strengths. They didn't play a full schedule, but it was enough for us to see what they can do and look no further than what happened to Clemson. But if you look at all the things they're good at, guys, and, Joey, I'll start with you, what should make Alabama the most nervous?
2: I think right now in the past two weeks especially, uh, the ability to run the football with Trey Sermon has made this offense completely different. It, It won the Big Ten championship game against Northwestern as they were struggling in the pass game, but against Clemson, you put a defense in a position where they have to pick and choose whether they try to take away the run versus take away the pass, which is done by the safeties. Whether you bring a safety in the box or leave the safeties deep, the key is running the football because all of a sudden, if you can run it with Trey Sermon and the way this offensive line is dominated, not only does it move the football, but it sets a tone. And it lets the defense know, we're coming at you. And it doesn't matter what you do. We're more physical than you. We're going to run you over. And that just lets everybody know. It gets the confidence of the offense going. The defense starts to struggle. And then you could see the deep ball was wide open. I used to love playing an offense where we could run the ball because I knew the safety would be down. And it opens up the deep throws down the field.
6: That's really it. It's A-gap to A-gap, downhill rushing style of attack. And they were not even that style of team last year. J.K. Dobbins, as a running back, really thrived by getting outside the tackles and winning on the perimeter. Now, they've said, we are no longer going to be a team that tries to thrive in space on the edges. We can do that. That is something that's in our repertoire because we have athleticism. But ultimately, this team is built tackle to tackle. And Trey Sermon getting north and south the way he's done the last few games has been a big reason why this offense has gone to new heights. Really, since the second half of the game against Northwestern, they basically said, look, Justin Fields isn't seeing the field well. He's not playing well. He's not seeing and identifying open receivers. He's forcing the issue. So let's take it off his shoulders. Let's run the football, and then let's find isolations for him in the passing game. That's exactly what they've done, and as a result, I think it's going to be something that Alabama hasn't seen yet, not quite to this level of physicality, and it's going to be something they are going to have a difficult time simulating in the days and weeks leading up to the national championship.
2: Alabama's defense is really, really good when they can shut down the run and get after the quarterback with three or four defensive linemen. It's when you make them start to bring linebackers, bring safeties down when they become vulnerable. You have to get them out of that three-down lineman, that four-down lineman look, and you have to do it with your run game because that opens up everything
7: else, and that's when people are taking advantage of Alabama's defense. Well, and Joey and Greg, to both of your points, uh, Ohio State's strengths in the, in the trenches on both sides of the ball, but what we saw versus Clemson I think creates even more problems and that is the 11 and 12 personnel, the one-back, one tight end, one-back, two tight ends, Luke Farrell, Jeremy Rickert. When you look at those two guys and you look at Notre Dame and how they were built with their tight ends, the difference between Notre Dame and Ohio State is Ohio State's got a dynamic quarterback playing under center, and the two guys on the perimeter for Ohio State, number two and number five, are difference makers. So, To your point, you're going to have to come down. You're going to have to defend the run. The tight ends are now a viable part of the passing game. They're very productive in the run game. Oh, but wait a minute. We've got perimeter weapons that can hurt us as well.
6: The one thing I'm really interested in, I actually think Notre Dame was kind of the perfect semifinal opponent for Alabama to prepare for a team like Ohio State. Now, Ian Book is not nearly the weapon that Justin Fields is with the ball in his hands, but... Alabama just repped multiple tight end sets for the better part of a week and change leading up to that Notre Dame game. They're now going to see the same thing just on steroids with Notre Dame. (laughs) The biggest difference between the plan they used against Notre Dame and the plan they're going to have to use against Ohio State is that the weapons on the outside, Wilson and Olave for Ohio State, Alabama might be able to play one-on-one with those guys, but they'll be the first team that's been able to do so. Those guys on the outside, when given the opportunity to play against man coverage, they've won. Now, Sertan is among, if not the best, corners in college football. He's the best that guy's an unbelievable matchup problem for Ohio State. But on the other side, I think Ohio State's going to be able to find some opportunities to create some cushion and create some big plays, Lukes.
7: Yeah, and Greg, at the end of the day, you know, you can talk the tight ends, the weapons, the physicality in the run game. To beat Alabama, you're going to have to have a transcendent performance from the quarterback. We need to see Justin Fields carry over from the Sugar Bowl into this ball game, And if we do we're going to see maybe the best college football playoff championship game we've had to date, in my opinion.
4: Well, guys, let me ask you, Joey, I'll start with you. Can you imagine a scenario, though, where after Nick Saban, obviously he's watched that Clemson game, he knows what they did. He, I mean, it's no secret to your point what, what their strengths are. You know, how confident are you that he says, you know what, you're not, you're not going to do this two weeks in a row, not on my watch?
2: I, I think that Nick Saban has a lot of confidence in his defense. And the other thing that, that we haven't discussed yet is what will be the health of Justin Fields coming into this game. Uh, we saw the big hit he took against Clemson. Uh, we saw the gutsy per- performance uh, and as he like played the rest of that game. But as players, we all know that it's the next day and the day after mm-hmm. is when you really find out how you're feeling physically And after that game, I guarantee you, he was in the ice tub. I guarantee you he's done everything he can to be healthy to go. But that is another key, Lugs, as you're talking about the dynamic playmaking ability of Justin Fields. A lot of that is his ability to scramble and get out of the pocket and run the football. Hopefully for that young man's sake, hopefully for Ohio State's sake, he is 100% healthy and ready to go. Because that then changes what this offense is able to do. Yep.
4: Yeah. Joey, you make a great point because he to your to to what to to your point he came back it was gutsy but that doesn't mean you don't have to shake it off in the days and even a week later so uh, we'll see but again Ohio State Alabama we are counting down the days now uh, until those two face off for a national championship Monday in Miami in fact Ryan Day looking to become just the seventh head coach to win a national title in his first two seasons. But he'll have to go through Nick Saban's Crimson Tide. Will experience by the coaches be a factor on Monday? And is this Nick Saban's best Alabama team? Hear what his players are saying about his thoughts on the 2020 Tide.
3: The matchup is made, Alabama and Ohio State.
0: Alabama
3: looks every bit like number one. He's got a touchdown, Ohio
2: State. National championship game. Presented by AT&T, January 11th on ESPN.
4: When you're Nick Saban and the resume, your resume, resembles the one he's put together in Tuscaloosa, it's tough to determine which of his teams or players or even seasons is the very best. This one, though, is certainly the most unique and maybe more than that.
3: Here we are, the SEC season about to begin. Alabama
6: does not have an easy road.
3: Stay focused on what you need to do to keep getting the results that we want. The people who played 10 or 11 games had to survive the grind. Each and every week, you don't know if you're going to play or not. You know, you kind of have your fingers crossed. He's got a man. go Alabama!
0: The hardest part this season was battling throughout the pandemic. Having to keep a safe distance from your family, loved ones, Uh, because you know that there's a bigger goal. Number one ranked teams, and it is Alabama. Tied on top. No one else is close to that.
3: Nick Saban testing positive for the coronavirus. Now Alabama in the Iron Bowl without Nick Saban.
0: They are the best team in America, and they're playing
3: like it. Corner. Got it. Mitchell Touchdown. Undefeated. Ain't no.
7: They are executing at the highest level I've seen them do it all year.
0: They have not taken a single step backwards. We played 10 games in the SEC regular season and finished off with 11
6: wins in a row, and nobody has ever done that and probably will never get a chance to do it again. Alabama
3: wins the ball game. This is the absolute best because I absolutely love this team. I love all the the adversity that they had to overcome and resiliency that they went through to be able to do this, and I appreciate it.
2: Since I've been here, that's just the most he ever said it to a team. He said it in the summer. At first, we were surprised, like, oh, Like, I guess we did it at the SEC, actually. It was like, oh, Because, you know, Saban doesn't really say that. We're like, man, like, this dude, do got feelings.
3: People that can handle these disruptions the best are going to have the best chance to be
7: successful in the end. And to my amazement, they've showed such resiliency and maturity in being able to handle these situations throughout, and I just have a Tremendous amount of respect for the leadership and the buy-in that all these players have made. I think that's why I like this team so much. But we're a
1: special team. We got special players and the brotherhood, the camaraderie we have around here is very unique. It gave us motivation to go through the season and finish the strong. We all obviously appreciate Coach Saban and he appreciates us. I just love how everybody on our team listened to him and bought into what we were trying to accomplish. I think he's really happy for us, but at the same time,
6: He's going to keep coaching us really hard.
4: Well, one thing is for sure, and that's Alabama has been a dynasty since Nick Saban took over as head coach in 2007. They've won five national titles. 13 bowl games and had 13 10 win seasons all of which are the most in in the FBS during that span and Greg I know in this instance we're talking about some kind of intangibles as well given the unique nature of this season overcoming adversity dealing with all the things that every player's had to manage but where does this tied team rank in your opinion among the all-time greats and you certainly played on some very good ones
6: our team in 09 would have kicked their butt. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I look at <laughs> I it. I knew that was coming. And this team is pretty special. There's no denying that. And given what's been expected of them, the expectation level that they have to deal with every single year is is remarkable. As they continue to stay in the spotlight of college football, the target only gets bigger. And it's remarkable how they've handled it now. Post-Tua, no problem. In comes Mac Jones. Post-Jerry Judy, no problem. In steps Devontae Smith as the number one go-to guy. This team just continues to reload, but what makes this team unique and special is that they're on the verge of potentially finishing undefeated, and there's only one team that Alabama's had in the Nick Saban era that has also gone undefeated with that unblemished record. That team was in 2009, and I still think our team, from an intangible standpoint, can handle anybody, but I think as far as Nick Saban's favorite teams and as far as Alabama's best teams, they have to finish And we saw 18, 2018 might have been the best Bama team I've ever seen with my own two eyes, but they got blasted in the national championship game and clearly fell out of the conversation among the Bamas great teams discussions so uh the 2011 team was special because of the way the way they battled against the tornado the 2012 team was special the way they battled back after the a loss and beating notre dame which is a, obviously a big game for alabama fans in the national championship 15 was special the way they bounced back from Ole miss and the derrick henry performance 17 was special because the second 26 they're all special but i know this one will hold an extra special place in everyone's heart given the challenges the pandemic presented, guys?
7: Yeah, I think, Greg, when, when you're talking about best teams or favorite team, I think is it particularly um, deals with this team, it's not about athletes. It's not about what they've accomplished. I think it's about their internal infrastructure. When you hear Nick Saban publicly praise his football team and, and, and lavish accolades upon them, I think it's because he likes their personalities. He likes the people they have in the locker room. He likes the team chemistry, and that's different each and every year. When these kids leave that building every day, they've 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 got to trust that the players are going to do the right things, and they have. So there's a lot to be proud of because so much of a team being special is what type of people you have, what type of locker room you have. You always hear about locker room lawyers and cancerous locker rooms and talented guys that can't win on the field. But then you've got these special components, and I think that might make – this team one of the best of all time, Joey.
2: Hey, Luke, I thought I thought Greg was about to name every Alabama team in the last 50 years there. It's a good thing the show's only... I would enough time, time Joey. Long,
6: I wouldn't have enough time. There's just Pick too many one. of them. That's what it is, just too many
2: of them. I started taking take notes. Okay, we got 16 is covered. <laughs> uh, oh, 17 also. He forgot like, 2010. 2010. See, I I give this team a lot of credit uh, for what they've been able to accomplish and and really across college football, what these teams have had to do in this season uh, with the limited amount of practices, uh, with all the testing, all all the other things that are involved in being prepared uh, to, to play in this season makes this even more special. And I had a chance to ask Coach Saban. Uh, about the mental aspect of this season. When you're dealing with the testing, you're dealing with you don't know if you going to get to practice or get to play uh, each and every weekend. When, when Coach Saban does get a chance to go to a game, uh, we haven't seen this team falter. We haven't seen this team look like they're not ready to go. And even though Greg named every Alabama team there's out there, I don't recall an <laughs> offense at Alabama that looks quite like this one. Like I said, we are talking about, uh, you know, Devontae Smith how special he is. And then the next sentence is Jalen Waddle might be better and hasn't had a chance to play. So I would say that this is definitely the best offense I've seen outside of whatever year Greg played quarterback. I think he <laughs> said 9 before he went through the rest of the, the teams down there. <laughs>
6: Yeah, great ball control team. If ball control and 13-10 games are your style, I got a team for you, Joey. I do think that the mental fatigue that you referenced is something that's unique and and true. And I don't know how we can possibly put a a quotient on the, the amount of of stress that these kids had to endure every single week i mean sitting there on friday night at the hotel preparing to play a game not knowing if that game's actually going to happen because your test result could come back positive the next morning that's something that no one has ever experienced as far as college athletics is concerned so i do think what this team has had to overcome as far as fatigue and as far as adversity is unique to the 2020 season and for that reason I think you can make a very strong argument if they finish the deal against Ohio State this would be the best team in the Nick Saban era.
4: Well, and I think it's worth underscoring too that these are student athletes and of course Alabama not the only team that was asked to do it but they were asked to make sacrifices to stay away from family, to stay away from friends, which is a very difficult thing to do when you're a college athlete, a student. Uh, and, and Alabama and a, and a lot of players around college football were willing to do that, which I think yeah, we can tip our, uh, tip our hat uh, for sure. Uh, let me ask you guys this because we know there's a, a different experience level here. Both of these coaches, Ryan Day and Nick Saban, excellent strategic coaches. One just happens to have more experience on the national stage. Nick Saban uh, has won so many national titles. Ryan Day looking to do it in his second season. Uh, will that experience? And I don't mean coaching experience, but in terms of playing for a national championship and doing it under the the brightest spotlight there is, will that be a difference maker on Monday? Joey?
2: I think it matters uh, when you have to know your team. And I don't think that Ryan Day is at any disadvantage here. He's an outstanding coach, Uh, but we know Saban's been there and he's done it. But the idea behind the coach is you have to know your players and what your players need to be prepared uh, in whatever amount of time that is. So I don't see a disadvantage uh, or an advantage in Saban's situation, except these are two really good football coaches that know their teams well and have both of their teams playing at their highest level at the end of the season, which is what you need to do.
7: Yeah, and Joey, I think one of the things that may level the playing field here is we don't have our normal bowl, bowl experience, right? You you don't have all the hoopla and all the things that are going on, creating distractions or clutter, as Nick Saban would call them, and you're down there for the entire week, and you got all these other things going on. And generally, the team that's been there before, the team that's got significant experience dealing with all that, handles it in more of a mature manner. So not to say that Ohio State wouldn't, but I do think it, it kind of just calms everything down so these kids can focus on football, preparation, and being at their best without all that other stuff, Greg. The fact that Nick
6: Saban's been in this game and have prepared for this game four times prior with a 2-2 two and two record gives him an advantage. Uh, whether or not that matters on game day is something that none of us can really put an intangible number on. What I can tell you, though, is having done it before in the semifinals and then re-racked everything up for the national championship, having done that four different times, that gives you an advantage for the preparation. But on game day, the three and a half hours when Ryan Day needs to be at his very best, uh, I don't think one coach has an advantage over the other. But the experience, we'd be crazy to say, that doesn't help Alabama just a little bit.
4: Well, one thing we should also note, there have been some rumors about some COVID number issues in Columbus. Everybody's dealing with this. Bill Hancock has told ESPN Tonight the national championship right this minute is on track to be played on Monday, despite some speculation that the game might be postponed by at least a week. Right now, the game's still scheduled for Monday in Miami. And with that, we will take a look at our Dr. Pepper trophy. Uh, National Championship trophy presented by Dr. Pepper, and we are just six days away. Oh, there it is. Uh, Somebody takes that home. Will it be Ohio State or Alabama? Again, we'll find out Monday night in Miami. Meanwhile, it was not the way Clemson pictured their season ending, not by a long shot. And we'll break down the reason why it did happen the way it did when College Football Live continues, and it's going to be a virtual experience this year, but we do know someone will join the Heisman Trophy fraternity, find out who we think will take home the hardware, coming up.
0: Hi, my name is Roger Staubach. Hi, this is Kyler Murray. This is Herschel Walker. This is Baker Mayfield. Congratulations to this year's finalists. The Heisman is a special fraternity. We have a special group of guys. And tonight, is a night you'll remember forever.
6: Enjoy the ceremony. And go Gators. Go Sooners. Go
2: Sooners. Roll Tide. Tide.
7: of a game with them last year and doubt it'll be anything different.
3: I think I learned a lot from that game. Don't want to feel like that again.
1: Talk about
6: guts. Justin Fields showing that right now.
3: Strike across the middle, touchdown. Buckeyes up three scores. Watch this He's got a touchdown. The Buckeyes stretch the lead again.
4: Justin Fields, a testament
7: to toughness and
3: a night to remember for Ohio State. Now we got an opportunity to go win the whole thing and maybe write one of the best stories ever in college football history.
4: Let's take a look at our Progressive Bowl Challenge Cup. The Big 12 and the MAC are the only conferences that were undefeated in bowl games this season. With one game left, the Big 10 and SEC have a chance to break their tie for fourth in the Bowl Cup standings. Uh, Richard Johnson, an analyst from the SEC Network, joins our panel at this point. And listen, guys, uh, we went through that game with Ohio State and Clemson earlier because it does matter. It certainly matters for Alabama. And so, Richard, I'll start with you. and, And the question is a simple one. What doomed Clemson? Because something certainly did.
3: Yeah, uh, Wendy, there are plenty of things that Clemson did wrong in that game on Friday night. But one of them, to me, the one that stood out is it just didn't look like on defense they were lined up on some of Ohio State's bigger plays. And then you go back to the tape, and they literally weren't. I mean, this Trey Sermon-Long touchdown happened Because Clemson's waiting to get the call from the the defensive coaches on the sideline. And there's a fire drill situation at the snap. Tom, I know, obviously, you've done plenty of Clemson games in your career. We know that Brent Venables sort of likes to get that perfect play call on defense so that Clemson's ready to go. I I don't know. It's maybe a harebrained theory for me. But at points in this game, it looked like the perfect play call may have been the enemy of the good. And Ohio State knew how to get at Clemson. And Clemson was left scrambling
7: a lot of the time. Well, I'll tell you, it wasn't just a few plays. It was a bunch of plays. In fact, in the first eight plays of the game, three of them, they were not lined up. Two of those three resulted in touchdowns. And then when you go to the coach's copy, because sometimes when you're watching the television crew, you can't see the linebackers in the back end. But if you watch all 22, this was a regular occurrence. And There were times where maybe Clemson would be lined up, but they were lining up right as the ball was being snapped. So you're not ready, you're not set, you're not going to be getting a a get-off in in your front. And I think that the combination of tempo, uh, the use of wristbands, the occasional huddle, and not getting up to the line of scrimmage, waiting and looking to the sideline, and then snapping the ball spelled doom for Clemson, Greg.
6: It was a problem for sure as far as lining up. But even on the plays that they did line up properly, they got pushed around. Yeah. Not just on the defensive side of the football, but also on the offensive side of the football. And I think it's actually going to cause for a little bit of reflection from Dabo Sweeney and his staff and thinking man, we might need to be just a little bit more physical along both lines of scrimmage. Back in the day, a couple years ago, National Championship game 2018, that Clemson defensive line dictated terms. They pushed Alabama back. They were constantly getting after Tua Tonga-Vailoa and was making life really difficult for the running backs in the open field. And then conversely, their offensive line was keeping that jersey for Trevor Lawrence very clean. They didn't do either of those two things against Ohio State, so they're going to have to look in the Mirror and see how can this team get tougher, Richard, in the years to come because they did not show much toughness throughout the course of that game.
3: Absolutely, I mean, I imagine Brent Penrose is going to have some sleepless nights uh, rewatching and rewatching this tape over and over again. And you see some of the other plays that went big for Ohio State in this game, like the uh, the fancy leap touchdown that I know a lot of people have seen. You got a tight end that's in open space alone, and and when we queue it up here, you see. We bring this wide receiver in motion here. Clemson, the entire middle of that defense flips. And when that happens, they're just out of position. And Ohio State leaves that tight end there, and, and he's wide open for a touchdown. I mean, Ohio State obviously played this team a year ago. And, and you know, there is something to be said, I think, perhaps, what Dabo was talking about uh, before the game, that, hey, Ohio State only played six games. We, we can't make up tapes. We can only go off of what they've done. And it is clear that there are some things that Ohio State did on Friday night that Clemson just had not seen, that Ohio State did
7: not have to put on tape to win the games that they won to get into the playoff, guys. You know what's interesting, too, is when you go back through that, you look at the plays that Justin Fields actually missed. He missed a wide-open Chris Olave on the corner route. That would have been a seventh touchdown. On the interception uh, in the third quarter that he threw in the red zone that was ill-advised, if he checks down to the tight end, which he did the rest of the evening, he scores, and so there were plays left on the table as spectacular of a performance as it was. There were still some plays where you said, oh, man, they missed one there. That was an ill-advised throw. If he checks it down, we're fine. So there, there were other opportunities, which really, Greg, kind of tells you how scary this thing can be for Ohio State when it's all clicking.
6: But it just goes to show you, too, for as good and as talented as Clemson is, sometimes it's just not your day. Sometimes it's the other team, and you can be elite, super elite in some ways, and yet it might not necessarily be enough. And it further proves just how difficult it is to win at this level of college football on a consistent basis. So to see what Clemson's done over the course of the last five years and to see what Alabama's done and to see what Ohio State's done to a certain extent and what LSU did last year, it's hard to win, man. Even when you have a great team, you've got to have your A game every single time when you're playing at this level. And if you don't, you're going to get beat. In some ways, you could get beat badly.
4: Well, that's exactly what happened for Clemson. I don't know if it wasn't their day or they didn't have their A game, but, but... – the outcome is what it is. Richard, thank you. The question of the day, though, uh, can Ohio State make it two in a row and do the same thing to Alabama? That we'll have to wait and see on Monday. We'll only have to wait a few more hours to see this. It's a virtual presentation. Nevertheless, though, you'll hear who we think walks away with the Heisman coming up.
3: Alabama, Ohio State. The National Championship game, Monday, January 11th on
5: ESPN.
4: Tonight at 7 o'clock Eastern, 4 Pacific on ESPN and the app, the 86th annual Heisman Trophy ceremony, but the first ever virtual presentation. It won't mean anything less to these guys. The one whose name will be called and the four finalists are Alabama quarterback Mac Jones, Alabama wide receiver Devontae Smith, Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence, and Florida quarterback Kyle Trask. Guys, uh, listen, it won't be long, 7 o'clock Eastern. Joey, we're not going to have you give a prediction because you're a voter, so uh, we'll ask your opinion, but you can hold off on the prediction. But for Lukes and Joey, who in the end uh, wins the Heisman Trophy tonight? Lukes
7: I think it's going to be Devontae Smith. I really do. I I just think for everything he brings to the game, both when he has the ball and when he doesn't have the ball, how he impacts the return game, he's the biggest difference maker and the most outstanding player of any player in college football in my mind.
6: I think he's the best player as well. I think he's the most outstanding player in college football. And given the fact that this year all the quarterback performances are relatively indecipherable, I'm going with Devontae Smith.
4: I'm I think joking. when you look at these the guys, Greg,
2: I, I think that we, we're in a situation where you could go to any one of the four. I think all guys have been absolutely terrific this season and you really couldn't go wrong.
4: All right, sounds like a plan. And guys, if we do see Devontae Smith win the Heisman Trophy tonight, again, just the fourth wide receiver to win the award, the first since Desmond Howard did it in 1991. A lot to look forward to, not only tonight, but Monday night in Miami. We'll be back on Thursday. Have a great night, everybody.